This is a production of Dirty Mo Media. Hello, my name is Rick Houston, and welcome to the glorious, white-knuckled, God-fearing, spun-out, half-turned-over, and out-of-this-world racing stories podcast. And then we're off to the races. Out of this world? What? Stay with me. When I was just a kid, I can remember watching one of the later moon landings with my mom while my dad was serving in Vietnam. I didn't understand that the astronauts were actually walking on the lunar surface, but I did recognize that they were a long ways off and wearing really cool spacesuits. And because every other word they said seemed to be Houston, in my five-year-old mind, they were talking to me, Rick Houston. I've been spellbound by the concept of human spaceflight ever since. And just like NASCAR, I've been blessed beyond measure with the opportunity to write and get to know many of my NASA heroes. Like millions of others, I dream of one day suiting up and being launched into space myself. Believe it or not, I've actually trained to do just that in the actual motion-based space shuttle simulator at Johnson Space Center in Houston, alongside honest-to-goodness real-life astronaut Doug Hurley. Stand by for engines. There's the engine start. There's T0. Here we go. Wow. <laughs> 102, 102, auto, auto. And Houston, there you go. We're rolling. Okay. So this is where the pilot gets the great view of the East Coast. I had a great view of the East Coast. I don't know what's in the fence. But, uh, and then we're off to the race. It's already up 6,000 feet going uh, 320 knots, Mach 7. Doug flew twice on the space shuttle, STS-127 in July 2009 and STS-135, the very last space shuttle flight ever, in July 2011. Then, in late May through early August of last year, Doug commanded the very first crewed launch of the SpaceX Crew Dragon spacecraft. Three, two, one, zero. Ignition. SpaceX, as in Elon Musk SpaceX. Doug Hurley knows Elon Musk, probably has him on speed dial. I know you're probably listening to this and wondering, what in the world does all this have to do with a racing podcast? Well, good deal. I'm glad you asked. Doug Hurley is an astronaut, 
but he also just so happens to be a huge NASCAR fan. He was introduced to the sport by his cousin, Nan Zipidelli, the wife of current Stuart Haas Racing Competition Director, Greg Zipidelli. In fact, his love for the sport began at about the same time as his NASA career. The summer of 2000, so that was the year I was selected to be an astronaut, um, I was home uh, on military leave just prior to driving down to Houston to start my uh, career down here. And Nan said, hey, do you want to uh, come to a race? And so that happened to be a race up at Watkins Glen. One phase of the 2000 NASCAR Winston Cup season is about to end the road course phase. Comes out of turn number 11, there's a green flag and the global crossing at the Glen at Watkins Glen is underway. And Steve Park is gonna do it. Steve Park is gonna win the global crossing at the Glen, his first NASCAR Winston Cup victory in his 77th race. All it took for the racing bug to hit Doug hard was that first trip to the racetrack. More than 20 years later, the memories are as vivid as if they'd taken place yesterday. Steve Park won, and Tony Tony at the time got in a, uh, a little bit of a bump and grind with Jeff Gordon, and they had a big uh, to-do at the haulers after the race, and I had a front-row seat for the whole thing. And, and then... If you're not hooked after seeing a road race, uh, and especially uh, back then, it just, of course, hooked me instant, instantly to, to the sport. And, uh, and then, of course, the aftermath after the race uh, was even better. So just a great, great all-around experience, and uh, I've been a fan ever since. This is how Doug explains his interest in the sport to others. I just, I remember the first few races I went to and then, you know, you talk to friends or other family members about it and, and, you know, it's like, you know, what's the, you know, kind of what's the big deal. And I'm like, just go to a race. You'll, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just such a spectacle. Uh, and then of course the sights, the sounds, the smells, um, you know, if you're lucky enough to get down on, on pit road and see, a you know, see a pit stop you know just any of that stuff it's just it, it it just immediately hooks you even if you're not necessarily you know what people would call gearhead or you know always been you know crazy about cars in general in 2002 doug was in the infield at bristol when another skirmish took place the call goes out on the NASCAR radio for the driver and crew chief of the 22 to go to the big red truck when the race is over. That big red truck is going to be busy. I oh, think, it's going to be. It was one of the more uh, totally NASCAR type events that, uh, you know, the, the sport is famous for, where the drivers uh, show their dis- distastefulness. This was uh, years ago at the one of the Bristol night races, so I was lucky enough to get to go uh, several years back, and it happened to be uh, a race where I think this was uh, fairly early in Dale Jr.'s cup career. He and Ward got into it, and Ward got the, uh, the short end of the stick, as it were. On board with Dale Earnhardt Jr. Jr. gets a run. He thinks he has enough, but just barely makes contact with Ward, and bam, in the wall. 
and uh, stood there uh, in one of the turns and waited for Dale Jr. to come by and then threw his, uh, his shoes at Dale Jr.'s car to show him how unhappy he was with him. And it was uh, it was neat because I was literally probably 40 feet from it. Of course, you couldn't hear yourself think for three hours because of how loud it was. The emotions are running very, very high right now. I talked to him maybe next Friday. There was one happy driver at the end of that race and uh, 42 other drivers that were not. Doug helped the crew of STS-107 strap into their seats on January 16, 2003. He was the last person to leave the Space Shuttle Columbia before it was launched that morning. During its ascent to space a few hours later, Columbia sustained damage that would result in its destruction and the loss of all seven crew members on board 16 days later. The accident was devastating. The shuttle fleet was grounded for more than two years. In all, it took more than nine years for Doug to finally get that first space flight, but it was worth the wait. Houston Endeavor roll program. Roger, roll Endeavor. This is Mission Control Houston. Endeavor's roll maneuver is being completed. It's now going into a heads-down position on track for its flight to the International Space Station. Flying at 400 miles per hour, one mile in altitude, and seven miles downrange already from the Kennedy Space Center. That it was a it was a long wait. Um, back then, that was pretty typical. Unfortunately, we had we had a lot of astronauts at the time, and. Uh, as we were gearing up for uh, crewing the space station. And so it was just a long wait, uh, unfortunately. And then it was compounded, uh, you know, during the accident 2003, where we lost Columbia. Uh, we stopped flying, obviously, for uh, a few years. But I, I found out at about seven and a half years that I was going to be on this flight. And so that helped a lot working your way towards uh, launching but yeah it was it was a challenging seven plus years to get to that point we finally got to that day where we launched and uh yeah it's just it, it's incredibly emotional in so many respects because you've just worked your whole it seems like your whole adult life to get to that point and, and then to finally feel the booster's light uh and you know you're launching skyward it, it was just an incredible different feelings i mean you name it you know the whole gamut all in about 10 seconds it seems like doug continues to describe the experience of a space shuttle launch i'll never forget you know as we the shuttle after it launches if you remember rick it rolls over upside down wait a second i remember what it was like to launch on board a space shuttle oh yeah the simulator back in houston yep that was me astronaut in training Sign me up, Elon. Anyway, back to Doug. As Endeavor continued its role, Doug got an order from Mission Commander Mark Polanski. But it wasn't so much professional as it was personal. And uh, the pilot side window is looking at the East Coast. And so I, of course, being the the dutiful pilot, uh, I'm watching the engines intently because those things are, you know, they all need to work for you to get to space. 
and remember Mark, uh, the commander, saying, "Look out the window! Look out the window!" <laughs> and, and so uh, it was just, it just that was one of the many things he did, uh, not only before, during, and after the flight, but just the kind of person he was, is just to try to get you to. The, the human aspect of spaceflight uh, is certainly as important as anything else. Certainly, you have a job to do, and you're professional, and all those things. But just to take that, that time to, you know, she's responsible for the vehicle as well, right? And uh, taking that, just that moment in time to just let me capture that look out the window, uh, you know, and obviously still remember it, just like it was yesterday. So just an incredible feeling to finally get there. Here's how big a NASCAR fan Doug Hurley really is. He carried DVDs of the 1979 and 1998 Daytona 500s, two of the sport's most famous races ever, with him into space on that flight. And while on board the International Space Station, he actually took a moment to watch a minute or two of the 1998 event. It was an appropriate choice. It took Dale Earnhardt a long time to finally win NASCAR's most prestigious race, just like Doug waited what seemed like an eternity for his first space flight. 20 years of trying, 20 years of frustration. Dale Earnhardt will come to the caution flag to win the Daytona 500. Every man on every crew has come out to the edge of pit lane to congratulate the man who has dominated everything there is to win in this sport. That wasn't Doug's last NASCAR moment of the flight. He was at the controls of the shuttle Endeavour as it undocked from the International Space Station to begin its journey back to Earth. He did a traditional lap of the station while wearing a Joe Gibbs racing cap in honor of Nan and Zippy, who was then still with the team as Joey Logano's crew chief. At a speed of around 17,500 miles an hour, Doug would later call it the fastest qualifying lap in NASCAR history. And then, just like that, Doug found himself back on Earth. And then it's over. Uh, and, it, and, it, and frankly, for an astronaut, it feels almost the same way. It's like, what just happened? What, what, <laughs> what just happened the last two weeks of my life? And then you're sitting there at the end of the runway, looking out the window at all these people coming towards you. And yeah, just to, to kind of get your mind around that whole whole thing. And then two days later, you're back in Houston mowing your lawn. And it, <laughs> it, it's just crazy. It's crazy. Doug spent a little more than two months on board the International Space Station last year. That's a long time to be away from home. But while he was on the station, he got to give the command to fire engines at Talladega. Hello, Talladega Super Speedway fans. I am NASA astronaut Doug Hurley, and I would love to be there with you in person today, but I'm currently aboard the International Space Station, orbiting 250 miles above the Earth. My friend and crewmate Bob Bankin and I arrived at the station on the SpaceX Crew Dragon spacecraft. This mission marks the first time that NASA astronauts have launched from United States soil in nine years. For the next few months, we will live and work aboard the station, orbiting at a speed of over 17,000 miles per hour. That's five miles a second. NASA has also revved up science engines to take auto racing to a whole new level. NASA technologies are used by race teams to improve performance and safety. 
from rockets to race cars, and on behalf of the entire crew here on station, drivers, start your engines. Even in that crazy environment, one that most of the rest of us could only dream of, Doug Hurley was able to keep track of what was going on in the world of NASCAR. During uh, the long duration space flights, uh, certainly when we're you know living on board station for, for months at a time, uh, we do have the opportunity to get some free time, albeit we didn't have a lot uh, in the two months we were there. Um, but when I did, you know, we have access to the internet um, at times when we have the uh, appropriate communications coverage. So just like on, on Earth, you, you can just log on and, uh, and, and do a search for NASCAR and, uh, and, and keep up to date. You can certainly see on social media and those kinds of things as well. And then the other opportunity we have on board is uh, they can pipe uh, one live TV station uh, up to us at a time. And so, you know, if the timing worked out, and of course on space station, we're, we're ahead of the United States by five hours. We are, we keep time. Uh, so our clocks are Greenwich mean time. So we're five, six hours ahead of, uh, where we would be, uh, here in Houston or on the East coast. Um, but you know, sometimes that works out great because if, if, if something is on in the afternoon here in the United States, it's after, after work for us, uh, on space station. And anyway, they can pipe up a live TV broadcast if, uh, if you know when it's going to be, uh, for us, then you can watch it live. Now, the only problem is, is, is it's, it gets interrupted probably a few times every hour because we have handovers to the different satellites. And so that, um, yeah, communications link is interrupted, but uh, it's neat to be able to do that uh, every now and again when you do have some free time and it makes you feel a little bit more like you're home. Imagine that. You're watching a race. But while you're watching it, you're in space on the International Space Station, more than 200 miles above the Earth's surface. Wow. My name is Rick Houston, and it hasn't been a problem, see what I did there, to bring you this week's episode of the glorious, white-knuckled, God-fearing, spun-out, and half-turned-over, and out-of-this-world Racing Stories podcast. Share what you thought about this glorious, white-knuckled, God-fearing, spun-out, and half-turned-over racing story with us at Dirty Mo Media on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Glorious Racing Stories is a production of Dirty Mo Media, hosted by me, Rick Houston. This show is produced by Andrew Curland, executive producers Mike Davis and Jason Schultz. Artwork is by Sean Sin. Special thanks to Leah Vaughn. Broadcast audio is credited to MRN, ESPN, and CBS.
check out Dirty Mo Media on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Dirty Mo.